With fewer clear milestones, isolating independence, and the feeling of high expectations, graduate school is difficult. Recently, a study was published in Nature Biotechnology, which found that, quote, graduate students are more than six times as likely to experience depression and anxiety as compared to the general population. In this season, we are addressing mental health in graduate school. We interviewed both students and faculty here at WashU to share their stories and advice regarding mental wellness. We hope you find the conversations presented here to be helpful in your own life for acknowledging, addressing, and maintaining mental health during your time in graduate school and beyond. Carrie Miller, and today I'm excited to share with you a conversation that I had with a fellow graduate student and friend of mine, Angela Schlegel. Angela speaks candidly about her experiences with mental health, talks about what it actually means to be mentally well, and offers advice on recognizing and navigating these issues in graduate school. My name is Angela Schlegel. I am a sixth year in the Plant Microbial Biosciences program under DBBS. So I'm uh, in Liz Hausel's lab in the Department of Biology, and I've had a couple different projects. Um, the first project was to develop a sensor for memory tension, and then I, after that failed, I switched over to a project um, studying a mechanosensitive ion channel and plant mitochondria. Cool. Stress regulation kinds of things. Um, so this season's theme is about mental health and how it affects uh, graduate students. So would you be willing to share your story with mental health? Oh, yeah. I love, I love talking about this. And I like... A lot of people are uncomfortable telling their stories, and I totally respect that, but I just have no shame with it because I don't care. Um, so I've kind of always had problems with anxiety, like, just, just throughout my entire life. Like, I was a super anxious kid, and you got me on. If there wasn't a time, like, there was a break in school where I wasn't totally occupied, uh, I would just wander. I was super anxious. So I took, like, Benadryl to knock me out sometimes when my anxiety was so bad, or I dread weekends because of a time. So it's, like, it's always been a thing. Um, and it got less so as I got older, like high school wasn't much of a problem. And a couple flare-ups in undergrad, but that's also a big transition for everybody. So now there's periods of anxiety that tend to go, come and go away. But it wasn't until um, my second, or after my second year of grad school. So thesis proposal's done, calls done, classes are done, all of that's done. And my anxiety just went like... And for me, I went to grad school right out of undergrad. So that was the first time where I didn't really have like those external metrics of success and progress. You know, I'm no longer getting a grade. My research progress is all on me. So I think that kind of drove my anxiety over the edge. And so it was just like, it was paralyzing. I, I, I would dread going into lab. I would dread experiments. I would freak out when I got emails, like just the whole shebang, everything. And it wasn't like I could process it. Like everything just... I couldn't do anything. And so I started seeing, um, I, I, I had a good supportive group of friends because I don't, a lot of my family either doesn't like talking about this or um, they get freaked out. And I think because they just have no idea how to talk about it. So I've got some really good supportive friends here who have kind of been through the same thing. So through them, I kind of sussed out the psychologist at WashU and picked one that was good for me. So Rumiko is awesome and student health um, and started seeing her for a little bit and that was kind of nice um, and there are a couple coping strategies or just like um, viewpoints that I still use today and I still think about today that are useful but it really wasn't enough like I think she was probably the fourth psychologist I've seen in my life and it just 
there was one day I literally, I literally remember sitting at my desk and I just like, and I called Dr. Winters who runs like student health, straight up student health. I was just like, yo, I can't deal with this. I think he called Rumiko and she transferred me. And they saw me that day. And I just got started on daily medication and then they gave me like uh, Xanax or Zoloft or something else. So it's something like a hardcore beta blocker that day. I never took that, but I got on daily medication and that has just been the best. Like, I stopped seeing a counselor after that just because it wasn't uh, necessary, but uh, I just love medication. Because <laughs> um, for me, it was something I'd been reluctant to do for a number of years. But, um, and this is like a shout out because I think, you know, we're, we're trained to think of medication as happy pills, right? Everyone refers to them as that. And it's like, oh, you're going to be happy all the time. And it's like, no. Uh, what daily medication does for me and a lot of people is it lets us... Um, the things that would be paralyzing before, we can now cope with. Like, even when I'm at my most stressed out now, I can think about how do I approach this problem? How do I plan for it? How do I start getting out of this? How do I start working through this? Whereas before, I wouldn't be able to do anything, you know, maybe even not eat, so. Gotcha. So yeah, that's kind of been my mental health story. Um, since then, I've done a couple things. It's hard when you're like later years of grad school and you're trying to crank things out, but um, toying with how to set up pro, like, mental health type programs for graduate programs. Yeah. Cool. So that's kind of been my journey. So based on your story, what does mental wellness mean to you? Like what is your definition of being like mentally well? Yeah, so you, as you might imagine, like uh, any definition that's uh, happy is not really my definition. But like mentally well, you should, you should be happy at some point. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, to me, being mentally well is you are capable with dealing with your situation. And whether, like, you could be going through the worst tragedy and you can have, or, or, like, you can have incredible amounts of stress and you can feel those things and you can acknowledge those things and you can figure out what to do next through that. And it's, it's a process of reflection moving forward. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's, it's, you're never going to be perfectly happy all the time and you're going to have feelings that you should acknowledge, but they shouldn't paralyze you and prevent you from living your life. So... I know you kind of mentioned like you got to a point where there were like not really metrics to tell you like how you're progressing. Yeah. So like that was maybe like a factor for you, but are there like other factors that you think affect mental health in graduate students? Oh, absolutely. Um, just kind, kind of uh, like branching off from that note, one thing I've talked about, um, I'm in a couple of fellowship programs and other fellows have brought to the idea that a lot of us are, you know, like we're smart people, right? We're grad students. And a lot of us have underlying issues that we're able to cope with and we're able to uh, deal with whether that's a learning disability or like mental health issues. Um, but grad school, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of difficult things you're trying to do like academically and a lot of things you're trying to balance and some of those underlying problems can come to the forefront. Even if you don't, just like the juggling act of graduate school and the fact that it changes over time and it's so self-motivated. But I think it's also, um, there are a couple of other things that it's easy to let go because of the stresses of grad school. Like, I think the classic stuff that we talk about all the time and we say, yeah, yeah, I know about it, but physical health, like, how are you eating? How are you sleeping? Are you getting exercise? Um, maintaining friendships and healthy relationships and family and finances and these, like, kind of everyday adult things. But when you couple that with a stressful day job or a night job or, you know, weekend job, yeah. then... Um, those things can kind of go haywire. Um, so do you have any advice about interacting with someone who has a mental condition or how you wish people would have interacted with you when you were going through, you know, that paralyzing stress? Yeah, yeah. So it's, 
I'm only gonna uh, answer this from my position because, like, I can't, I can't, absolutely can't speak for anyone with a different mental condition. But for anxiety, like, um, one of my friends has this quote that I think is really applicable and beautiful. It's, it's feelings are real, but not always based in reality. So a lot of us, like, we might know that our anxiety or our fears are irrational and overblown and all of that, but it doesn't make them any less real for us. So when people actually acknowledge what we're saying and acknowledge our fears without being demeaning about it, without being uh, patronizing about it or trying to diminish them, that is a big plus. Because again, like we might even, we might be fully aware that if you, know, if you have high anxiety problems, your anxiety is not real, but it's still, you feel it and it has a lot of physical manifestations too. Mm. Um, so acknowledging and listening without judgment is a big thing. Also not, not always, if you don't have an answer for how to fix a situation, that's fine, but don't, don't pretend you do. Um, and just sometimes, like so, some of my really good friends have no idea how to deal with it, but they listen, and that is that's huge because mm-hmm. that's part of how you know, it helps to process it. Yeah, don't try to solve their problem, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you can offer your own experience too, that's always helpful. Just not in a way like, oh, I've totally dealt with this. Here's how to solve it. It's mm-hmm. like that really sucks. Here's what I've done in the past, and you know, like kind of an exchange of information rather yeah. than ordering or, or mm-hmm. directing. Uh, related to that, how do we become more aware of mental health of others? Like, how should we know to respond in that way? Uh, talking is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's hard. It's hard because I think a lot of stuff with mental health is um, the person has to be willing to accept help. Uh, you sometimes don't want to talk about mental health or you don't want to look like there's a problem or act like there's a problem and that may be part of how you're processing it. Mm-hmm. Um if, you, if there's someone you're really close to and you notice changes in behavior or attitudes or things like that, just being a presence. Um, but I think I think it's talking. Mm-hmm. I think uh, being a, like from from the standpoint of someone who had like might have mental health issues, talking about it or letting other people know what's going on, and then from the other end, asking about it. But it's it's tough, like asking about it and hearing what's going on, and also. Um, really respecting what the person needs at the time. I, th- I think it's part of it because it's people, if someone has mental health issues and you're always going to respond a particular way or always going to be suggesting and you're not really listening to what they need, they may be reluctant to talk to you. Because if yeah. someone was always like, oh, well, you just need to go see a concert. It's like, no, that's not what's been working for me. That's not what I really need right now. Um, but if we talk about it, if we make it more of a normal conversation and we also make it... Um, more reflective of what people with mental health issues actually need and are going through and more respectful of them rather than trying to impose an outside narrative onto their thing, I think yeah. people are going to be more willing to talk. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 kicked around a lot, but normalizing the conversational mental health and it's you also don't have to have a full-blown diagnosed disorder or disease mm-hmm. to have mental health issues as another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't, I don't have anything that's diagnosed. I take medication, but I've never been hospitalized or something never had the diagnosis laid on me but still a problem so talking you know not that that is well acknowledging that perspective so how do you yourself recognize if you have a mental illness was it kind of a slow progression or did you one day wake up and be like it's funny in retrospect because like there's so much of uh everyday life for me that before medication was like this is not normal i think 
when your mental state or what's what's going on in your head is preventing you from doing things that you need to do or want to do mm. that's that's a time to pay attention because like i had i had anxiety problems that i could manage and deal with but they were always present and they would prevent me from doing things or prevent me from feeling or enjoying like experiences like hanging out with friends or making plans or enjoying the weekend or or even like looking forward to the week or being fine with the week instead of dreading it so it, it's kind of a spectrum right because it's reasonable to feel stressed at some points and feel anxious and kind of kind of shut down a little bit and give yourself space to do that but when it it keeps constantly preventing you from doing things you need to or want to do mm -hmm. i think it's um kind of an issue and that's part of why i'm really i love talking about my whole story um is because i think the more that we talk about it with each other and we figure out what what are not not so much what is normal but what do other people experience what have they done what did they see as problematic then we can get a better idea of like what's the spectrum of how people are functioning what's the spectrum of help that people receive and in which which situations they do yeah. seek help yeah so feeling like you can relate to other people so then you kind of know like where do i fall like do i need help or yeah because yeah. that was a huge part of um because I'd seen some counselors in the past where a lot of the treatment, and this is fine for some people, a lot of the treatments focused on breathing exercises and those kind of like um, mental picture strategies to deal with anxiety. But mine was, I, you know, I think it's physiological. Mine was so omnipresent that there's no way I can get into the headspace to make that a thing. So talking to other people and uh, really getting an idea of like what the spectrum of counseling was like. Um, and how it's not just that, it can also be like looking at your past, looking at situations and how you approach them. Um, and then also medication was a thing. I didn't really learn much. I know my dad was on it, uh, which is part of where I got it from. But learning what medications are out there, what different approaches to treatments are like, what does medication do, the fact that it's not like they aren't happy pills, they are stabilizing pills. What, so yeah. I think that's... No, knowing help comes from information, and information comes from people talking. And the more that it's casual conversation, the more you're willing to listen. Because I wanted, I wanted to listen to an authority figure. My my PI acknowledged that I was going through something later on, but she had no idea how to deal with it, and I wanted to listen to her. So for me, it was it was talking to friends, and I was talking to peers. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we kind of touched on it, but like, when do you know if you need help? Yeah, it's it's totally it's totally when it's when it's paralyzing and when it's preventing yeah. you. Yeah. Um, and part of um, I would encourage graduate students as they get past the first year, they get off in years, learn about the resources available. So one one thing that's kind of cool about uh, at least our program at Wash U Student Health uh, on the medical campus that I can go to uh, is a lot of. At least if a lot of the first few sessions of a psychology uh, or psychologist appointments are free. So uh, learning what options are out there and and to kind of kind of check things out because like I didn't knowing if counseling is right for you, knowing if medications. Are, I mean, medication is a big step. Like take it seriously, but just where to, where to go for help. No, no, knowing what's available to you, knowing what's affordable for you. Mm -hmm. um, and knowing how how much you can just try and then pull back or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of sample it out, see what works for you. Yeah, yeah. And I guess I, um, any any just for me, any graduate program 
if they're going to say that they support the health and well-being of their and success of their students, they will have support for mental health. If they don't, mm -hmm. they're doing something wrong. Like, mm -hmm. we have suicide rates, we have depression rates, we have anxiety rates at the Wazoo for all graduate programs across the United States. Mm -hmm. um, so your graduate program should have resources for you. Yeah. Um, if not, you should be able to push them to get that. But really, check out the spectrum of resources. Your friends can help you. Your PIs probably can't help you because they just don't know the system. So it's really talking about um, your health and wellness resources. And that's kind of like I've, because of my anxiety issues, I've navigated the mental health systems of multiple universities. And there's usually um, some kind of triage system that can help you decide what option is best for you. Mm -hmm. So that kind of brings us into the next question of um, whether or not you think students are actually aware of these resources. I think they absolutely are not. Um, and I don't think it's a lack of concern. It's not a lack of desire and it's not um, a stigma against it. I really don't think in graduate school there's just there's much of a stigma anymore against um, mental health resources. But like, when do you hear about them from a programmatic standpoint? Typically, it's only during orientation or in those first couple weeks of school. And it's certainly not true for everybody. For me, my issues didn't come up until two years in. And it's been long since I've heard anything from orientation. It's been a long time since I remember anything from that. And uh, I mean, I could have missed something, but I don't think anyone ever talked about resources beyond orientation. So there's no, there's not much framework within programs, I would argue, right now to present these mental health resources to students uh, on a frequent basis on a basis as they get older. Um, and I got really lucky with myself personally because I had a lot of, you know, this may be my friend group, I had a lot of friends that had gone through mental health issues. And one of them happened to be a year older than me and she knew all of the psychologists and she knew different medications. But um, there's, so, there's so little dialogue on that and there's so little dialogue on more detailed things that if I hadn't had the friends that I did, I wouldn't have been aware of the resources at all, even though I desperately needed them. You know, I've done a little bit of program bashing in this interview, but it's hard to know who should be trained, who should know what resources and know what distributions, because professors shouldn't be expected to diagnose the mental health of their students. Maybe they should be aware of the directions to point them in and the resources that are available, but, you know, what, what role people play when information is out there. Mm -hmm. And it's hard, too, because what do you do? Do you hold... Do you hold info sessions that students are going to be reluctant to attend? Do you have emails that students are going to ignore? You're like developing programs for graduate students. For yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Oh yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I really need to get on this. My, my dream goal, and I, I'm hoping to get a cohort of younger students involved in this. Um, so one of the, one of the things that I see that graduates, graduate schools, and like society in general. One thing, one of the biggest things we can do to improve mental health is to develop strategies and talk about more recognizing when mental health issues are starting to arise as opposed to when they're in crisis mode. Um, and in some cases, you won't seek treatment or you won't get help until they're in full-blown crisis mode. But what I had started was um, PMB tune-ups, and it was this quarterly just sit-in session. Uh, and the idea was that we would send out surveys a couple weeks in advance uh, to the whole student group and get get just feedback on what students want to know about. And it was kind of more, um, not, not so much academic oriented, like we might have had uh, study skills on there, um, but it was more directed at the, the kind of life of work-life balance. So our, our first and only PMV tune-ups was we brought in two people from Mental Health America of Eastern Missouri. 
Um, and they talked about the different aspects of life that contribute to your mental health. Things like physical wellness and socializing and that kind of thing. Um, and it was really cool. So it's, it was, it's strictly a non-professor, non-postdoc event. It is only graduate students from the program. So people can freely talk about things. And it was just meant, it's just meant to be kind of a check-in with the program. So it's not, it's not an email spam. It's not, um, super formal and a lecture, but it was more meant to be interactive and directed at students' needs. Um, so yeah, some mechanism in place to check, like get, get everyone on the same page, check in with everyone and hopefully, um, not so much identify problems, but provide an outlet for people to talk about issues as they're arising before they hit a problem point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, like we were talking about earlier, where like just talking early on is one of the most important things. Yeah, and I think there. I think setting up a culture in graduate programs, uh, and and to me, like the program level is one of the more effective ones because you have uh, people that come in together and see each other fairly often. But creating a culture where it's just it's normal. It's the same way like you talk about if you had a sports injury, right? Like if you if you tore a muscle, oh yeah, no problem. Everyone would be happy to talk to you about treatments. And it's not so much that people are reluctant, I think, in graduate school to talk about mental health, we just don't. Mm. So to to encourage and normalize the conversation. Yeah. Cool. I guess we kind of already touched on a lot of these, but ways that WashU or ways that society in general could improve um, support of mental health overall. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna talk general and then kind of go more into grad programs. So I think um, for me for me a couple of the things that are difficult, but my experience has kind of taught me is, uh, and I, I think this is important. So recognizing that mental health and mental illness are a spectrum. You don't have to have a full blown, and it's not to dismiss someone that does have a full blown diagnosis. But you don't have to have a diagnosis or have a particular disorder to have mental health problems. Um, it's something that's worth maintaining and thinking about and reflecting on, even if you feel perfectly healthy, you feel great, you might get a little bit stressed out, but it's worth just keeping in your head, keeping yourself on track for maintaining your mental health. Um, and so I think ways that graduate programs specifically can kind of help this is const like more constant reminders about what resources are out there. Um, making them accessible, both in terms of scheduling times, uh, affordability is huge. So we're very lucky here and that the uh, mental health is very well covered. Um, there's only, I think last count was three counselors for all of WashU medical student health. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Okay. Um, I guess this last one doesn't really fit in here too much, but how do traumatic events or one's physical health even affect well, that one's actually funny because I was in a I was in an emotionally abusive relationship for five years, so traumatic events, kind of. Yeah. Um. So I, I haven't, you know, I haven't had. I would argue that people have far more traumatic events happen to them than I've had happen to me. But yeah, I was in an emotionally abusive relationship for five years. There would be days I'd come home and be studying, and then suddenly my partner would start screaming and destroying things in the apartment. So there's constant fear. The thing about my experience with any kind of traumatic event or stressful event is that it's it affects your health, mental health in very sneaky ways. Um, so we can develop a lot of coping strategies and survival strategies, no matter what we're faced with, that can be both beneficial and not beneficial, depending on the, as the situation changes. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm a little bit hypersensitive, I'd argue, to people's emotions, especially if they seem stressed out or agitated, because for me, knowing that that was the thing was a survival strategy at one point in time. Now it's a, now it's a source of extra stress that I don't need anymore. 
That's part where self-awareness and self-reflection are huge. Um, because even just, just the experiences we've been through shape us in ways that we're often not aware of. So really, and that's part of what we're talking about. I, I constantly say talk about it, but you have no idea what your normal is or how it compares to other people mm-hmm. unless you talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and physical health is huge on your mental health. And I, I learned this um, because I when I first went to college, I didn't really cook for myself much. I just ate like garbage for a year. And when I started biking more, so that's, that's my thing, or when I started cooking more for myself, that was huge. You know, it doesn't solve everything. Um, I'm on medication for a reason. But that coupled with eating regularly for me, sleeping regularly, it's amazing what, um, when you when you that's when you check in with yourself and it's like, are you doing the things that you should to maintain your physical health? And it's amazing when you figure out, oh, wait, I haven't eaten lunch today, how much of a difference those small things can make. And they really add up. Um, because I, I think it's a cycle. Like often for me, if I'm not maintaining my physical health, while I might not realize it, it starts affecting my mental health. If my mental health is not up to par, then my body gets stressed out. I sleep less. I don't want to eat, and then it's it's very cyclical. So I think all of these things, traumatic events, uh, and traumatic for whatever whatever's traumatic for you, respect yeah. your own trauma. Um, your physical health and mental health all interact. Part of what talking to people and talking to counselors or thinking about it can do is help you figure out what how these are related to each other for you and how you balance that out. So yeah, I think I think mental health and mental health in grad school is hard. Programs need to take responsibility for it, but it is by no means only their job, only the authority figures' job. It's it's very much up to students and up to the cultures of students. Thank you, Angela, for sharing your story and offering advice and perspective on this tricky subject. I hope as we close out here today, each of us can take a second to think about how we can more normalize conversations about mental wellness in our day-to-day lives. If you are in need of help, please contact Mental Health Services on the Danforth campus or Student Health Services on the medical campus. Contact information as well as more resources will be linked in the show notes.